Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. I'm Ted Bonnet. I'm Phil Proctor. If you move the letters of my name around, I'm Poppy Pillow Roach. For those of you who like to play that game. (laughs) Sounds like a new career. Yeah, no. My whole life is a new career. Let's face it. We have a wonderful guest with us today. Phoebe Doran. Hi, Phoebe. Hi, Phil. Hi, Hi, Ted. Hi. Hi. So are we going to fool around? Oh, Oh, we can fool around. Okay. We can fool around, but you can't fool around in that sense of the word because this is, you know, it's radio. It's radio, yeah. yeah. Uh, Now, Phoebe, you and I go back to the New York days. Uh, We used to meet at Downey's, Downey's. a restaurant, right, in Mm -hmm. the Broadway district. When I was just a kid, I think I was doing... Uh, the Sound of Music at that time. I you was, were? I was understudying Ralph, the singing Nazi. You are <laughs> 60 going on 70. And uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and and you were doing Off-Broadway at that time. And you had, a, you had a really special relationship with a marvelous actor, Michael Dunn. Right. And uh, you guys discovered that you your, your voices blended well together. How did that happen? Well, well, the, the, then you know, let's set it up for people who don't know. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of yours, Phoebe, because I watched The Wild Wild West when I was a kid, the, yeah. the TV series, yeah. and Dr. Loveless. Dr. Miguelito Loveless. Oh, my God. So I went, <laughs> and so you played his uh, evil, sweet, um, kind of uh, romantic interest, I suppose. Yes. And yes. I was Antoinette. Antoinette. <laughs> Antoinette was, was lovely. <laughs> a little goyish, yeah. but she was Antoinette. But, but if you remember The Wild Wild West, Dr. Loveless, what, uh, he was a villain. He was the villain. He was yeah. a brilliant villain. He was a, he was yes. a small person. He had yes. um, a condition that made him three foot eight. So you may remember the villain in Wild Wild West. Michael Dunn. Michael Dunn. Michael who Dunn. Who was brilliant. He was brilliant. And, 185 IQ. And that show was, I watched, I watched an episode on YouTube for the first time since I was a kid. And I realized, wow, were they taking a lot of acid when they were writing those shows? No, no. No? It was well. First of all, it was groundbreaking. It was very much off. Um, I guess James Bond. They were trying to do a James mm-hmm, Bond mm-hmm. thing with a lot of uh, people that did stunts. You know, Bob Conrad, who was the lead, was a stuntman to begin with. Mm-hmm. He started as mm-hmm. a stuntman, and then they built up a whole following for him. Oh, he's a very handsome. Uh, oh, oh yeah. was he handsome? Boy. He's yeah. gorgeous. He was gorgeous. This but, man. But as you say, <laughs> he was also diminutive. He was short, relatively short, and that's why. Are I, you calling him short, Phil? No, no. <laughs> this is from you, Phil. Yes, he was short, and he used to wear like eight-inch uh, heels. Heels. Heels yeah. in his shoe. Uh, it was really funny, but. Um, Mike Garrison, who was the producer, got onto it very quickly. They had a following of every kind of audience way before people knew and what it was, was really going yeah, on. Yeah, and it, it, we were talking about this. It's, it's credited inspiring the steampunk movement. Right. Which is sort of defined as a retro look at the future science right. fiction. Right. Well, I remember the um, people who did the costumes, the people who did the sets, the art directors, they were the best of the best. I mean, when I played that uh, beautiful instrument. Uh, the harpsichord. Yeah, the harpsichord. Every one of those harpsichords were um, 
museum quality? Well, is? beyond museum. They were museum pieces, oh. and they had to be brought into the set, and you had to have an armed guard on the set all the time Whoa. because they were afraid someone would, could harm them or take them. And everything on the set was for real. It was Emmis. It oh. really <laughs> was for real. The, they had props on that set that was so beautiful. We used the lot at Radford, CBS Radford, where they had a lake, and they had, I mean, it mm-hmm. was just an incredible place. It. Was that the Gilligan's Island? Uh, I think yep. so, yes, right. I think so. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Now, this was the halcyon days of, of TV. episodic television. Yes. And, you and did, now you did, you had a run on that show. We did right? about, I did about five of them. What was your storyline? That's, an, <laughs> that's huh? an interesting question. Well, Michael was such a terrible villain, but sweet. Michael Dunn. The storyline I never understood <laughs> because I'm not bright enough that way. But uh, we sang together. He was a villain, but he sang. He was a singing villain. And the uh, <laughs> joke on the show was every episode had a different villain. Don Rickles was one of them. Oh. Victor Buona was one. So you can imagine the villain was like very strange and very compelling and they could act their asses off. Yeah. Oops, I said asses. Oh, asses. Oh, okay. yeah, they could act their asses off and really have a lot of fun. And um, Michael and I, I guess, do you want to know my history? With yeah, 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 sure. Oh, my real history. How, how I happen? thought you meant in the well, show. Well, well yeah. Michael and I started out in an off-Broadway show together called Two by Saroyan. And I was painting the poster for the show. Because you're an artist as well. Yes, I was an artist as well. So I was doing the logo for Two by Saroyan. And on the uh, paper that I was working on, on the big cardboard paper for the poster, there were two little feet in front of me. I saw these two little feet and I thought, do they belong to a person? They're so tiny. But they're not kids' shoes. They're real shoes. And I looked up and up and up and there was Michael. And well, you didn't have to look up and up and up. You just looked up. Because <laughs> I thought maybe this is a puppet. Uh-huh. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I looked up and there was Michael and he said, hi, my name is Michael. And he played something on the show. And I played the lady who gave birth on the show. I came in through the door at the end and I gave birth. And uh, I remember... Paul Newman's wife, Joanne Woodward, was there one night. She saw it, and she said, you were my favorite person in the show. And I said, but I didn't even have a line. I came out at the end and dropped the baby. She said, honey, having a baby like that is like trying to poop a watermelon. Yes. You were terrific. And I just <laughs> oh. loved her from then on. But, um, that's so you're how, from New York. Yeah, yeah, I'm from New York. So we became very good friends. Mm-hmm. And after the show, if we didn't go to Downey's or Joe Allen's, we went to the Plaza Fountain. The Plaza is a very classy hotel, hotel in New York. Yeah. yeah, And in those days, it was Still the creme is. de la creme. Oh, yeah. 59th and 5th. And we would sit on the ledge of the fountain and we would sing just to relax, just to get ourselves back into the real world. And pretty soon we had a following of people. You're singing folk songs? We sang folk songs, requests. Oh. <laughs> we did requests. We did for your anniversary for your birthday, whatever you came for. And it became like a little group of people that would come, and if we wanted to go somewhere else after the show, it was like, no, 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 those people are waiting for us. <laughs> and one night, Roddy McDowell was shooting Mike because he had gotten Ballad of the Sad Cafe on Broadway. It was a big step for him. And Roddy said, I want to follow you guys around, and I don't want any nonsense or any fake stuff. I'm just going to follow you all day. So at night, we went to the fountain. And he saw all the people talking to us and asking us, you know, to sing. 
And when we left, Roddy said to both of us, you know, the two of you are crazy. What are you sitting around here singing for, yeah, free? for free? Put it in a nightclub act. I I know that if these people are coming back every night, you've got something oh, on the ball. Right. Make a nightclub act. So that's how we started. Wow. Yeah. And Mike Garrison, who um, was the producer of The Wild Wild West, came to see the nightclub act one night. And he said... Uh, I'd like you to do a TV show, both of you. Oh, how I want exciting. Michael. Yeah, I want Michael. Well, what did we know? We were like these dumb little cookies. Yeah. We didn't know. A TV show. Hey, but that's hey. when a TV show was a TV show. Yeah. It was a TV show. There were only three networks. They talked about 30 yeah. shares. Captive audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is when TV was really starting out. Uh, you know, maybe they had five shows, Uncle Milty and all that. Yeah, And yeah. maybe stuff. But um, it was a thrill to us. And they flew us. We literally got on a plane. They paid for the plane. I I thought at the end we were going to have to pay them. Um, And it was a prop plane. Believe it or not, it wasn't a jet. It was a. Pro- I'm oh, pretty sure it wasn't. It, was a, a, it wasn't a studio prop. No, it was a propeller. A propeller. Flying, that's what right. I, I mean. And I was terrified the whole way because I'm terrified of flying. Ooh. So Michael held my hand the whole way, and then uh, we started doing the show. And they loved the villain Miguelita Lovelace and Antoinette so much because of the singing. It became a thing, and we worked with all of the music people at CBS who were oh my. the creme de la creme. But they you had were. the chemistry going into it, so mm-hmm. that, that certainly helped. Right, right. And the crew loved us, and we loved them. I loved the stuntmen. I used to sit and watch them do their stunts and get crippled from the stunts, but there was no faking. This was real stunt well, it, work. it had a reputation. The Wild, the wild, oh, wild West. West had a reputation of being a very violent show. Not necessarily portrayed as much, but dangerously violent for the performers. Yeah. Right. Everybody got hurt. Yeah, but they took pride in that because <laughs> they were stunt people. Honestly, they yeah. were all stunt people. The only person that was of my ilk and Michael's ilk, which was legit theater, yeah. was Ross Martin. And he used to hold court, and we'd sit. And, uh, Ross knew everybody and everything. He, he was, was a raconteur. Funny dude. He really yeah, he was. was wonderful. He was Robert Conrad's uh, partner. Side. Right. right. That, that right. was the foil. This erudite guy with this with uh, this rough and tumble, handsome, handsome, who's wearing eight gorgeous. eight inch heels. <laughs> and 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 you uh, you were bounced from that show for a very strange reason. If I you were written off the show after five or six episodes. Mm-hmm. And why did that happen? Oh, there was a terrible woman involved. <gasps> no, isn't there always? Do you know, I really don't know if this is true, but it probably is. Michael married a woman. I don't know her name. I think it was Joy something or other. Uh-huh. And she wanted my role on the show. I don't know how long she lasted, because I don't know how well she sang with him. Michael and I, when we sang together, had a Did she get the job? Yeah, they took me off They the wrote air. you off and put his wife they in your role? They said, goodbye, Phoebe. Don't wow. let the door hit you on the way out. No explanation or apologies? No, it was or... very hurtful. It was very hurtful, but you know what? That's showbiz. I had to go to a shrink wow. after that because I thought it was my fault and I did something terrible maybe. Well, you were know. young. Yeah, it was a dope. And I you know, sat in the psychiatrist's office and she said to me well talk to me a little bit tell me what you're feeling and I just started to cry what am I going to do and she said to me what are you talking about and I said well if I don't do this show with him I'll never be anybody I'll never be never work again I'll never work again so you were codependent with with Michael Dunn. With Michael, yeah. But there's so much more to it because you had a relationship with him you were he was the first man I ever loved 
That's the truth. I'm telling you the truth now. I loved Michael. At 185 IQ, he was one of the funniest people in the world. Mm. He was um, simpatico. He had a lot of, what do they call it when it's female? Animus? Magnetism? No, an animus, a female sensibility. And Mm. he wasn't afraid to show it because Michael certainly wasn't a macho guy. So the real Michael could come out without his being ashamed of anything. I see. And um, I don't know, she said to me, well, let's go back over what you said. You don't, you'll never be anything without Michael in the show. Then you'll never be anything. Maybe you should rethink your career. Mm-hmm. That hurt. And I sat up and Tough I love. thought, screw this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give up now. I'm going to try it on my own. And I did. Later on, I saw Mike, oh, it must have been a few years later, and um, – he had really succumbed to alcoholism. He had gotten so bad. Yeah, but but and and if again, I would invite the our listener to go to YouTube and just you know put in the search engine the Wild Wild West. Oh, yes, yeah. And there's there's not Even a lot of full have. episodes, but there's a lot of clips. Yeah. And you will see Loveless. You'll see Michael do his yeah. bit and yours. Yeah. And and he's so charismatic. I mean, I re- he left such a deep impression yeah. on me even as a child. He was really a force. But he was three feet eight inches tall yeah. because of a condition that he had. It's called achondroplasia. Mm-hmm. It's a form of arthritis, and there were a lot of famous people who had it. Toulouse-Lautrec had that. Mm-hmm. Steinmetz, the great electrical genius, had that. There have been a couple of people. It's a I, very, I knew, very rare condition. I knew a, a wonderful uh, man who created this company called Traytech, which made industrials, and uh, he had the same condition. He had a, a spinal right. you know, deformity. Right. But that, I mean, but that may account mind. for his problems with alcoholism and all. I mean, to you want to know my problems with alcoholism? Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Jewish. I'm not allowed to drink. Uh, I see. <laughs> Jewish women never get drunk. Oh, uh, I see. Except when they're on a date. <laughs> then they can get drunk and pretend it never happened. I, I remember <laughs> I learned to drink by, by mixing Manischewitz with Pepsi Cola. <laughs> I highly recommend kept it. Drinking yes, it. it's good. It's a little sweet, <laughs> but it's sweet. very good. Oh my God. Um, I almost died on that show a couple of times. You want to hear the story? Oh, yes, okay. please. So the Wild Wild West was dangerous for everybody, even for you. For everybody. Well, what did we know? When we did these stunts, nobody told us we could ask for stunt doubles. Uh. And these stunts were dangerous. There was one where I literally almost died, where we, the kicker was... Every episode would end with a cliffhanger. This episode, we were going to go sinking in a boat because they shot holes in this little rowboat we were in. And it was on a pulley. And the pulley would go down slowly and everyone would watch us be submerged. And then you'd just see the bubbles on top of the water. Did they live? Did they not? Tune in next time when they come back. Or maybe they won't come back because they're dead. Uh So we get down, down, down into the bottom of the CBS lake on this pulley. And I see Michael let go and he shoots to the top of the water and I let go and I'm not going anywhere. My dress, which was an authentic costume of the time, had about 300 buttons down the back. There was no zip. There was no way to get out of it. I could not get out of the dress. Yeah, there was no sex in those days. No, we didn't. Well, you could lift up your skirt, but that's another story. (laughs) You women know everything. That's another series. So I thought, oh my God. I'm going to die on camera. Because your dress was caught on... It was enmeshed in the pulleys, and it could oh, not be wow. pulled out. 
And Michael, thank God, realized if anyone was getting to the top first, it was going to be me. Something was wrong. Uh And he went back down because he was the only person in proximity. Other people were watching us. They were watching us in the water. They're watching me die. I guess it didn't seem real to them. He... Pull my dress. What acting? What great yeah, what, acting? Listen, how long she can stay down here? It's, it's, it's ten method. minutes already. Yeah, it's so method. He ripped your dress open? He ripped the dress open, and I came out of the dress gasping, gasping imagine. for air. Yeah, that was one time. Then there was another time when we were in a hollowed-out log. Yes. We were also escaping. We were always escaping. I never were. understood what the hell that was. Oh, <laughs> well, you were villains. Yeah, we were villains. And um, there was a fire in the place where we were. The fire was going to burn down the place. So the guy said to us, all right, Michael, you'll go first. The little door to the log will open. Michael will crawl out first. Phoebe, you'll crawl out after. Just stay in the log till we tell you you can come out because everything is going to be on fire. And once we put the sprinklers on, it's over. The set, everything is over. Do you understand? Do not ruin this shot. Okay. So they started the shot, and everything's on fire. We're smelling it in the log. And I say to Michael, what are you waiting for? Go. He says, I can't go. It won't open. <gasps> oh! I said, Michael, push it open. Do something. He said, I, I'm trying. It won't open. We're stuck in the log. And then I guess they had to turn the sprinklers off and do it again because we were almost asphyxiated. Oh, my God. In the log. What? Yeah. Give up show business? <laughs> I mean, then with, with these... The- the same people that said you're written off the show get out i mean was it that harsh an environment i mean you would think by today's standards there would be a scuba diver you know no off camera no. watching the a safety lot of officers it was by the seat of your pants it really wow. was and you would think wow. they maybe would have tried it out but who knew that my dress was going to be so voluminous sure. that it would catch in the gears and you know, um, still. I did mean, they fix the door then for a retake? Yeah, did they, they realize we had to shoot the next day because everything was soaking wet. And it wasn't wow. our fault, thank God. Wow. Yeah. So I'm trying to think some other things. It, it was um. What Robert Conrad? Ooh. Yeah. Now he was gorgeous. He's a gorgeous man. He was, he was gorgeous. a gorgeous man, yeah. and and they knew that, and he appealed. To the uh, every, every demographic, including the gay demographic, right? Oh, boy. He had such a gay following. Did, because did they know he was wearing eight-inch heels? No. You couldn't tell on television how tall someone is. Right, I right. once went into a casting director's office who yelled at me, get out of here. I said, what did I do? He said, well, your picture is a much taller woman. <laughs> your picture is Can you believe it? Well, woman. on television, you know, right. everybody looked right, tall. Right. You didn't have an 8 by 10. You had no. a 9 <laughs> by 60. By 12. Right? So people may remember 12. Robert Conrad not only as a star of Wild Wild West, but he was very famous for the battery commercials where he put the yeah. battery on his shoulder and whatever it was. Yeah, he was great. So working with him, what was he like as a... Uh... He was very shy. Well, I didn't know what it was. I thought he hated me. You want me to tell the story? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. So we had done about five of these episodes. You know, we flew in from California, and we would sit around with the guys on the set. and all You flew stuff. in from New York to California. I mean, to California, yeah. And everyone knew us by that time because, you know, the repetition of, of coming course, in, and we, we had like a little family You're there. part of the family. Yeah. But he never talked to me. If I ever said anything to him, he would turn around and walk away. And I once even said to Michael, what did I do? That man hates my guts. He just doesn't like me. So I stopped trying. And then on the last night of the shoot, we had a party. There was a big party. And he 
asked me to dance, and I thought, oh, God, I'm going to dance with Robert Conrad. Be still my heart. <laughs> so we started dancing, and he's whispering this in my ear, literally. I'd like to take you back to my trailer. I'd like to do everything I can think of to you. I'd like to lick you all over. I'd like to kiss you in places that you never thought possible. <laughs> and he was waiting for an answer. And I just looked up at him and said, I'm dancing as fast as I can. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. I tried to make a joke out of it. But this is a man who never spoke never to me. Spoke Do you understand? You. And um, I walked away and I thought, damn it, if I could just tell Michael. But I couldn't tell Michael because Michael would have been angry at Bob for, oh. for saying something like that. I was oh. dying to tell him that. But, wow. that, but so you, you stayed... This was an interesting fork in your life yeah. of, of this. No, it, was, you, you, it was almost a fork, but she turned <laughs> him down. It was a spoon. It was a spoon. Yeah, I turned him down. Stupid that I was. I could have had a you know, liaison with Robert Conrad. Youth, so youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. <laughs> we grow too soon old and too late schmott. Yeah, later I asked him, I said, what did he mean licking? What was the yeah, licking? What was the yeah. licking? <laughs> but so you so you get written off the show. Yeah. Now you could go back to New York and resume stage work, uh, singing with Mike Michael, right, uh, in New York potentially. But you decided, if I understand this correctly, you decided not to go back to New York. I decided that the therapist was right. If I couldn't do mm. it without him, then I couldn't do it, and I was mm. kidding myself. There were many other careers I could have had, and I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to marry my boyfriend because. When he proposed to me, he said, um, you'll act for me in bed. And I thought, yeah, I probably would act for you in bed, but I'm not going to do that. So I didn't get married, and I lived in New York, and I stayed out here for a while, and I got a Broadway show. Hmm. It oh, yeah? Was, yeah, from here to go to Broadway. I, yeah, it was called too. Happiness is Just a Little Thing Called the Rolls Royce. Does the title tell you anything? <laughs> <laughs> Ran out of gas early Trick. on that, right? <laughs> it was terrible. You ended up staying here, and I'm looking at your resume. Yeah, that's only half my resume. Oh, you my have goodness. none of the New York now, credits on oh, it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah. I started as a child actor at two years old. I was already speaking oh, and really? talking and dancing and oh. laughing. Oh, no. 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 No, no, really. She's just, no. no. Actually, I was ashamed of being an actress. You, why? I guess because I started out as a graphic designer. I went to Cooper Union. Oh. And I was really involved with that whole group of artists in New York at that time. And at that time, it was the Renaissance. Yeah. It really was. All yeah. the people kicking around at the cafe, you know, all the cafes and yeah. all the. Yeah. And I lived with Uta Hagen. I don't know if you oh, know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I yeah. studied with Uta Hagen. You did? You lived with. How did you I end know. up living with Uta I worked in a, uh, a camp. Uh -huh. A summer camp. Yeah. And her daughter, Letty Farrar, was there, right. Joe Farrar's daughter. Right. And she was kind of a strange little bird, Letty. Hmm. And I was the only one of the counselors that could befriend her or talk to her. Or I was like a lifeline for her. I don't know why. And Uta spoke to me uh, after the summer was over and asked if I'd like to come and live at her house 
she had a room in her house on Washington Square. Oh. Yeah. On Washington wow. Square. Magic place. Yeah, and I was going to Cooper Union at that time. It took me two hours from Rockaway. To, I, 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 it was four hours each day. They, what's a, they call it Far Rockaway. Far Rockaway. For a reason. For a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and it was an answer to my dream. So I lived wow. with them and met so many wonderful people. Mm. I can't imagine. And then once I said to Uta, do you think I could be an actress? Because that was my secret. And she said, oh, no. No, honey. <laughs> you got to start when you're 16. If you're older than that, forget it. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you studied with I, film. Yeah. Well, was I started. I, I did live television when I was about 12 or 13. Really? So I guess that's why she she let me take her class. Yeah. Well, she was, she was obviously uh, incorrect in that assumption because, my Goodness, you were on everything from Mork and Mindy, oh. Alan King, All in the Family, Rhoda, yeah. Barney Miller, Heart to Heart, um, uh, and and even recent, well, Lethal Weapon, and Grey's Anatomy, which is the one we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, the Grey's which Anatomy, is, which, which is a fun. hilarious scene where you were a donor yeah. recipient. And you were asked to defer to a younger person who I was asked to give my kidney to somebody else. And I said, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were in um, Adam Sandler's movie, Don't Mess with the Zohan. Oh, you want me to tell you my Adam Sandler oh, story? Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, yeah. hey, this is a story. Okay. They thought it was fun in Zohan to have old people do disgusting Embarrassing things. Oh, That's dear. the new joke now. Make yeah. old people French kiss. And, uh, uh, anyway, so what I had to do, the bit that I had to do was lick whipped cream off Adl Adam Sandler's chest. He had it on one nipple, and I had to lick the whipped cream off his chest. That this was is this the licking joke. thing. I was going to say, yeah, why didn't you uh, refer Bob Conrad to that? Yeah, yeah I hey, should have said if you like to lick so much, but go Get lick an it. Address. So, I'm doing that. Now we're on camera. This is serious stuff. Okay. And I'm licking the whipped cream, and I can't breathe. He's got my head. He's holding my head down on his chest and doesn't realize he's holding my head. The whipped cream is going in my eyes and up my Ooh. nose. I cannot breathe. So... I started nibbling <laughs> oh. his nipple. Nibbling his nipple. I had to get his attention because I thought, this guy is going to yeah. kill me. I can't breathe. Oh, my God. And he got so mad. I don't know if it turned him on. I, I don't know what happened. But he was supposedly on the phone, and he took the phone, and he threw it across the set, and he cursed. And he said, get her out of here. And what they told him to calm him down was that I got all excited. Uh -huh. I was so turned on Jeez, by him kidding me. that I couldn't know, I swear to you. And to this day, he tells the story. He tells the, he story, tells the story about this old woman who huh. got so uh. excited at Adam uh. Chandler's oh. teat. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Did you, do you a hear that, Adam? Did Did you do a retake and it was okay? No. Or? They threw me off the set, whatever that, he said. No. Yes. Wow. Yes. How does it? How is it that he commands that kind of respect? He I don't probably know. was producing. He has a he's he's very powerful, yeah. and he has a big following. Yeah. I'll probably never work again, right, Adam? You know, it's wow. it's um, it's amazing to see the dynamic. I think Dennis Dugan was the director, if you could call him that. I mean, Adam did everything. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He did everything. So you've had a lot of uh, near-death experiences. <laughs> yes. <laughs> on camera. On camera. Yeah. Yeah. Our guest is Phoebe Doran. 
You know, it's interesting. Going back to the Wild Wild West, that show was canceled in the height of its popularity for political reasons. I didn't know that. Yes, it was canceled because it was airing in the late 60s, and it was not really a hyper-violent show. No. But it was singled out because of all the political assassinations of RFK, which is the anniversary of his shooting is to, today. To, to this very day. And, um, and mm. Martin Luther King and, you know, the war effort. And, and there was just a lot of violence then. I mean, if they, they, well, these people woke up today and saw what was they going on. They wouldn't know what country they were living it. in. But mm. what had happened was the, um, the president um, off, uh, of the time, President Johnson, created the National Commission on the Causes and Prevention of Violence. And one of the questions it supposedly tackled was how uh, violence on television, uh, graphic news coverage of the Vietnam War, the real reason they didn't like the graphic coverage of the mm-hmm. Vietnam we're War was because it ended the war for the Pentagon. Uh, but um, they considered before. this contributing a factor to the violence in American society. So the TV networks fearing regulation and government control decided to self-police. And as the producer, Bruce Lansbury, went on to claim that the Wild Wild West was a sacrificial lamb and went off the air with a 32 or 33 share, which is when we're talking about that, we're talking about 33 percent of the U.S. audience is watching every episode, which doesn't exist any longer unless it's a Super Bowl because of siloed media. But um, so poli- this was a, sort of a form of political correctness back in the 60s. Mm. And the show was lost because of that, of a political move. So it never Terrible. ends. It never ends. No. So but you decided to stay in L.A. Yes. And you ended up buying, a house. buying, buying an interesting home. Yes. I bought I live in Laurel Canyon, which is a little haven. Mm hmm. Kind of in the middle between the valley and Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood. It's a very historic canyon. Yes. And so I, it's the mountain between Hollywood and the valley. Yes. And, the and I live on Wonderland Avenue. Oh, that's That's fitting. what it's called. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine was living in this house that Carol King owned. It was the house she wrote tapestry in. Oh. Uh, and there's a picture of her sitting in my window oh. with her little yes. cat on yes, her lap on the her. tapestry Very album. Very famous. And they said, Carol is selling the house. You're talking about staying in L.A. Rents are getting more expensive. Come on up and take a look at the house. Maybe you'll like it. It's very, very green and beautiful. So I came up, and um, the price was $50,000. Wow. And I called my mother. (laughs) I said, Mommy, it's so expensive. I'll never be able to pay you back. But what should I do? She said, buy the house, stupid. I mean, (laughs) are you crazy? That house now, and it's the tiniest. I mean, you have to turn around to change your mind. Mm-hmm. It's really that small. <laughs> but we have a beautiful, beautiful garden, which my husband has And so you, you ended up wow. getting married. And you've been I married. ended up getting married to a nut. I mean, that's yeah. why I love him. He's, he's a French nut, though. He's a French nut. He speaks French to oui, Phil Proctor. Oui, je parle français avec lui. Yes, yes, he's French. He was, <laughs> je l'aime beaucoup, oui. Yeah, whatever you said. Yeah. Sure. I, I like it sounded him a lot. good. Um, <laughs> and so I fell in love here, and he was... <clears throat> Of, of a different generation than the man that originally asked me who said I could act for him in bed, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I stayed. And so I live in Carol King's little house. It's a marvelous little house. I mean little. And the house next door to me, which is just as small, 
just sold for a million nine. Yeah, there you go. A million nine Uh for a tiny little house, and he's putting a million into it. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah, wow. (laughs) I guess Look out, it may not be a tiny little house anymore. I, I, no, they're not allowed. They have certain regulations in the canyon. Thank goodness, so I think yes. you can go up, but you can't go out. Right. And uh, I don't, I mean, it's obscene. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obscene. It's, 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 it's upscale. It's, it's obscene. crazy to, to, to consider. I mean, in yeah. our neighborhood out in, in Santa Monica, there's a, you know, a one-bedroom condo going for 2.9 million. Yeah. Good heavens. And Jesus God. The, 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 the property tax on that alone Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is probably one hundred and twenty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Plus, they've got the HOA fees, and, and the question, of course, is who can afford that? Somebody can mm-hmm. afford it. The guy bought it, and yeah. he's going to live there after he puts a million in, or maybe he'll try and sell it if he can get two point three million. Good luck. Yes, I don't that's think true. So. You know, it's it's, it's, it it's it's interesting because wages have stagnated. Hello. There's been a complete shift in uh, wealth creation, and and mm-hmm. and sure there are haves and have-nots like never before, mm-hmm. which brings us around to the show business strikes that are occurring. Oh, brother! Mm. You know the writers are on strike because they're just trying to regain what they've lost. Well, I'm a writer as well as an actor. I could show you some of my residuals. A dollar ninety-seven. I got one today for forty-five cents. Yes. For Rugrats. Do you keep them or do you tear up those checks uh, when I'm they not, come? They're, they're, they're making the deposits. I got so tired of receiving a stack of checks that were like one cent. Yes, really, literally. Insane. So you know, I'm looking. Literally, they deposited one cent. Well, I don't know, but something has to change because someone is making money. Yeah. And well, it's not the writers and it's not the not actors. The actors. Y- you've been through this before. Mm-hmm. What's your take on it all? That they always win and we always lose because they've got all the big bucks. Got big bucks behind you, them. You, and, but now there were three major unions all coming up. Mm. The writers, the actors, and the directors. Oh, yeah. And directors. the directors settled yesterday. They always do. They, the, I shouldn't badmouth directors. I love no, directors. No, no, of course not. But um, they always do what's right for them. And That's right. And they don't help the actors or – the writers. They're now, in a different position than we oh, totally. are. Totally. And they're just totally. there's less of them and they're more powerful. And a lot of them are producers. Many of them are producers. Uh, That's right. That's right. Now, evidently, they negotiated a 76% increase in their residuals. Mm, nice. Now, that may be limited foreign to residuals. O- foreign overseas, yeah. The thing that frightens me the most, and I was talking to one of my doctors the other day, and he was talking about AI. And AI in the medical field is a boom. I mean, they just did something with some kind of superbug where it would have taken human beings months and months, maybe even years, to come Mm -hmm. up with a solution. 24 hours AI has. Yes. It's a good tool. Yes, in certain fields. Mm -hmm. If they start using it for writers, it's going to be very bad. Now, what is your writing career? What kind of things did you do? Well, Christian and I write scripts. And, oh. Uh, yeah, and we write thrillers. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> I like to kill people. <laughs> we well, kill people. yeah, you're speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so we did uh, something that was on uh, USA Cable. We had a movie that was supposed to be in the studio, but... Nick Cage was supposed to do it, but Ooh. then there were all the machinations oh, where it ends please, up. Oh, please, the politics Nick... and the Yeah, <laughs> forget it. I mean, by the time you're finished, you don't even know why they called you in to make the movie. <laughs> you know, they start with, I think the um, 
the executives think if they weren't so busy, they could write this. It's just the thing. Yeah, sure. What's the big deal? What right. is going on? And they think nothing of changing everything. Like they'll say, to you, you know, I really love the part where the girl. You know, maybe the girl could be a guy. I mean, just think of Listen, it. Listen, Carl Gottlieb yes. told, told this story. He, he didn't tell her on the show last week, but but he told me at one point he had gone to pitch a story, and uh, and the producer he was pitching it to liked it very much. Carl, I like very. I really like what you've done here. But could, could we change the detective into a whale? <laughs> he said, Sure. He, remember, he wrote Jaws. <laughs> Carl was on last week, yeah. and uh, the show's up because this is not only a radio show; it's also a podcast. And if you can hear all of our shows, including Carl's, yeah, from we last squeeze week, every last non-penny out that's, of our. That's right. <laughs> SexyBoomerShow.com. Just go to SexyBoomerShow.com, mm-hmm. and you'll find all of our shows. So you'll have hours and hours of listening yes, entertainment. We've including... been doing this for quite a while and and enjoying it greatly, as you can tell. You know, yeah. Well, fun. let me just tell you one more thing about the writing. Sure. We wrote a 12-episode script. It's oh a thriller, you know. And, um, it's about um, what's going on in America today. A lot of it is about uh, the Russian emigres mm-hmm. that live in Brighton Beach. Mm-hmm. And one of them, it's like Cain and Abel. One becomes a gangster and the other one becomes a uh, a legitimate Wall Street type. It's so a it's documentary. A of, yeah, they're, they're brothers. <laughs> anyway, so our agent said to us, you know, it's really hard to sell a 12 episode. Can you turn it into a novel? Uh-huh. And so we turned it into a novel. Oh. It's the most exciting thing I've ever done because you've only got a two hours to do a script. But in a novel, you can elaborate mm-hmm. on any character. Mm-hmm. You can pick up something that is so fascinating that you wouldn't have time for in a script. And um, the style of the writing is even important. Mm-hmm. You know, when you write a script, you write action, you write dialogue. Right, yeah. You don't pay attention to... And you have to surrender Yes, yes. But in a novel, control. you can talk plus, about the air yeah, and the right. moonlight. Plus, it's, and, that, plus that, it sort of requires... That happened to Bob Ludlum. Bob Ludlum, what was it? You know, uh, Jesus had a wife and children. What was the name of that that book? Well, anyway, that was originally pitched as a play mm-hmm. to a friend of mine, a director friend of mine, and he told Bob, he said, you know, it's it's too complicated the story for a play, but you you know, you should write it, write a book. Write and he book. did became immensely wealthy and famous because of it. Yeah. So hey, we're thinking of changing the lead into a whale. Oh, my God. You're all wet. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. That Thank you. Thank you. It's fun. People who may – you're pretty much retired at this point. It looks that way. From performing. Well, if if you weren't, today's interview would probably fix that. Oh, God, please give me a job. But listen. (laughs) I'll do anything. You did a lot of voiceover work. Yes. uh, And some great commercial work with Paul Wilson. Paul Um, Wilson. Paul Wilson was going to surprise you on the show today. What was the series of commercials you did with him? Um, It was on camera, right? Right. It was for the... um, Insurance company. Yeah. But we had a lot of fun with that. And God bless it. Well, you know, the, the fact that that uh, I'm now 82 years old, but I'm still doing narrations and and diff- various voiceover jobs. In fact, uh, Ted and and I collaborate. Uh, Ted Ted created the sound design for a wonderful piece called Hindsight that mm-hmm. I and my wife Melinda Peterson were in, and John Goodman was in. Six part podcast. Yeah, sort of created a world between cinema and audio. 
The idea is because of all of this spatial audio phenomena that's coming up with Apple and everything, yeah. um, you can create true in- immersive environments. Like I went to see the opening night of um, a transparent musical at the Taper. Mm-hmm. Great example of where this is all going. It mm. was an immersive theatrical production. Big, beautiful stage, but actors all around you and sound design all around mm. you. And I don't know if you guys saw, probably didn't, but Apple's uh, keynote yesterday where they rolled out their new yes, I did, uh, I about Apple Vision. I yes, think it's $3,600. It is $3,600. You know what's so weird? I watched the whole keynote, and the, the thing that you have to get past is that people are going to be starting to wear these headsets. How are they going to walk? Well, they can walk because it's a You rem- can see through them. You can't see through them. You can't see. They're through. Oh no! There, there's a there is a thing called augmented yeah. reality. It looks like they look like ski goggles. Yeah. And if somebody's speaking to you, the the sensors and all know how to create a virtual reality image of your face, so when that talking. when they talk to you, all of a sudden your eyes appear on the screen yes. of, of the actual strange. goggles, but it's not you. So that, and it was kind of laugh out loud funny because at one point they go, and when your conversation ends, you can go back to your movie and and you (laughs) see the person's eyes dissolve into some like blue swirling and it's like, oh, he's gone. It's pretty great. If you're home by yourself, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. You know, somebody I heard on the radio the other day was was talking about WALL-E, the movie, the Pixar movie, and how all of the the people on that ship uh, were, the humans were like big fat blobs being pushed around and uh, driving around in automated chairs with augmented reality goggles, and we're almost there. Well, I wouldn't worry about any of it, guys, because climate change is going to take care of There you go. Phoebe Dorn, it's been such a pleasure, and thank you for coming to see us. So glad you're alive. Me too, still. Keep working. Uh, Can I ask you one question? Sure. sure. Are you married? I am. Oh, shit. Aww. <laughs> oh, no one's ever said that. Really? Oh, yeah. your voice. Just your voice. Oh. Phil, I know, because I know Melinda. And she knows my name. I know voice. him, and I know his Yay. wife, and she's a that's wonderful right. person. Oh, thank you. But, um, that's oh, all. thank you. This Phoebe. was so all much right, fun. Here's, here's the 20. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Was I good? Was yeah, I good? Yeah, it was very good. You've been listening to the Phil and Ted Sexy Boomer Show. We'll be on next week with some funny guys, yeah, too. We're More do funny a, people. There's going to be some funny guys on the show. In the meantime, week. always watch for us at sexyboomershow.com. You can hear all the mirth anytime you want, on demand, no artificial intelligence and required. It won't cost you uh, $3,600 either. Thanks to Donna so. Walker, our lovely producer here at KPFK. Thank you, Donna. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Stay Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.